Welcome to Living and Marcelo's Criminology Podcast, a podcast hosted by Marcelo Aevi from the University of Lausanne, Switzerland, and Living Powers from Ghent University, Belgium. We aim to draw a map of the state of criminology across Europe through the words of contemporary criminologists. How is criminology defined and taught? Which are the main lines of research? Which are the main schools of thought in each country? These and many other questions are answered here by fellow researchers who share their vision on the development of criminology in their countries from its beginnings to the second decade of the 21st century. If you want to know and compare their stories, stay tuned. Today we are interviewing Michael Levy. Michael Levy is professor at the School of Social Sciences at Cardiff University. He has a strong international reputation for excellence in both fundamental and policy-oriented research on money laundering, corruption, cybercrimes, fraud, transnational organized crime and white-collar crimes. Michael Levy received different major lifetime achievement awards, among others from the British Society of Criminology and the American Society of Criminology, and was organizer of the ESC conference in 2017. This interview was conducted on 21st of February 2023. Welcome, Michael Levy, to Living and Marcelo's Criminology Podcast. Welcome, Michael Levy, to our podcast. We are honored to have you here for a conversation on criminology. So, we will simply start with um, this conversation, asking you the, the question that we used to break the ice and which would be how is criminology defined? And then we have a problem because which would be your country, the United Kingdom, Wales, uh, your uh, country of birth? Uh, we will let you the, tell us. Uh, well, I was uh, born in England. I have uh, lived and worked since 1975 in Wales. Technically, we are part of the United Kingdom, or as it is more commonly known nowadays, the disunited kingdom. Um, uh, so wherever you are in England, Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland, uh, you belong to the same overall jurisdiction, uh, though Scotland has its own legal system, always had its own legal system, which preceded the union with, uh, with England and Wales is a principality. It doesn't have its own legal system. Uh, Northern Ireland does have its own legal system, uh, but it's very similar to England and Wales. Uh, so, when I talk about my country, I am generally speaking about the UK uh, because as a social science, to the extent that it's a social science, uh, criminology um, often disregards or is even ignorant of uh, these uh, legal jurisdictional uh, issues, because insofar as it's about the explanation of criminal behavior, uh, it probably has its 
relatively ju jurisdiction free, though personally as a comparativist, uh, I think uh, the variations are what we ought to look at for inspiration uh, uh, far more than we actually do in practice. Uh, the, 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 the criminology definition might be if you go back to Sutherland and Cressy, uh, criminology is the study of the processes of making laws, of breaking laws and society's reaction towards the breaking of laws which is a, a, the definitional approach I would favor. Uh, people, crimin, most criminologists, um, unless they're dealing with a hot topic like trans uh, or drugs, uh, forget about the problematic definition of things as criminal or not. People who are interested in labeling look a lot at society's reaction towards the breaking of laws, uh, but many criminologists ignore that too. Uh, so uh, given that there are so many criminologists and so many places that teach criminology in the UK, I would say there is no coherent uh, worldview or Weltanschauung um, about uh, what criminology is or how it should be taught or, 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 or what its boundaries are. Indeed, some of the most prominent thinkers, for example, Stan Cohen, the late Stan Cohen, um, you know, profess themselves to be anti-criminologists. Uh, so, um, uh, you know, th these are contested spaces. Okay. And especially because you mentioned that you've been living and working since in Wales since 75. Eh? Do, do you think that during that time, um, or I, and the, the question should be how the study of criminology changed during that time? Because you have been a witness in the first row since the beginning. Eh? Look, when I was appointed in 1975, uh, there were two criminology posts in the whole of the UK uh, and one uh, research fellowship, uh, a three-year home office funded research fellowship for which I applied and wasn't uh, even shortlisted. Uh, uh, I regard that perhaps as a matter of pride because my proposal for this three-year study in 1975 was a study of the constitutional arrangements in the Crown dependencies, that's Jersey, Guernsey and the Isle of Man, and their implications for financial crime, uh, well, which I would say was somewhat ahead of the game. I wasn't shortlisted. Uh, uh, Joanna Shapland, in fact, was appointed to that post and uh, did one of the first of her many studies of victims. I was one of two people appointed to criminology lectureships in 1975, the other one being Reading. That was probably more posts than there were in the following five years. Wow. Uh, so if I had not got a, uh, a lectureship, I would have either had to be a, a, a contract researcher uh, as as some people, for example, at Oxford and at Cambridge were for many years, uh, um, uh, Mike Maguire, my colleague, 
uh, later came to Cardiff, um, was 14 years at you know, short-term research associate. So that was the world of of criminology. You either you either got one of these very very rare lectureships, um, or you became a jobbing researcher. Um, you know, working on projects. Some of them you may have thought of. Uh, others were were what other people did, or you went to work for the Home Office, um, or 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 you did whatever you did outside of that framework. Uh, so th that's a huge difference from today, where we have 135 universities offering 822 courses in criminology. So uh, th this massive expansion, what happened, uh, if we're talking about the profession of criminology, uh, which may be different from the content of criminology, uh, if we're talking about the profession of criminology, then uh, it was still a very rare post. Um, th there weren't many universities. I think at that time, the only universities that really taught much criminology were uh, Cambridge, uh, first amongst equals, um, the Sheffield, Keel, uh, from which Howard Jones, who was the professor when uh, when I was appointed in Cardiff uh, here uh, and Cardiff were really the only places that that taught uh, criminology uh, to any significant degree and uh, Edinburgh in Scotland. Wow. And, and what what happened to or is there any plausible explanation of this explosion um, in in 50 years? Well, I think, yeah, people became more bothered about crime. Crime became a kind of socio-political uh, and scientific issue. So that's part of it. That would be the, if you like, the, the respectable rationale. Um, uh, the, you know, people wanted some answers it became a uh, a chic subject um no doubt due to my involvement uh, the uh, it became a chic issue uh, uh to to study uh, the rise of tv documentaries uh and uh you know and thrillers you know series like Cracker um, with the late uh, Robbie Coltrane, um, the CSI, all of these things made criminal. There are, so there are two really two elements. There's a kind of research and thinking bit of criminology mm. um, where criminologists are asked to or, 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 or volunteer to um, to better explain and perhaps better control it's an arguable point uh, crime and there's the student subject bit of criminology which is generated partly by fashion yeah criminology is something that you can say to your mates oh i'm studying criminology oh that's cool uh that to their parents 
it's more respectable than sociology. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's not as respectable as law, but it sounds more interesting. Uh, so when I started criminology, for example, at Cambridge um, in 1971, when I went as a student as on the then diploma uh, in criminology, because it wasn't worth a master's because it was too new and, you know, it wasn't mm. really a respectable subject. Um, the, uh, you know, criminology was very often taught as the... Uh, the most interesting and a bit of a law degree. So you could actually get marks for doing something interesting. It was regarded as a, almost as a sort of finishing school element of, uh, of, of a law degree where people got to do something interesting. They learned something a little bit more about the criminal justice system uh, and sentencing and uh, stuff like that, capital punishment, had still not been really knocked off the map. Um, and still students like to study capital punishment uh, in, in, in many countries. But the, um, so the, there's a kind of popular culture aspect of studying criminology. Um, it sounds as though you're doing uh, something that, that yeah, serious and analytical. Um, and of course, other subjects, plenty of other subjects at university, one would hope, are serious and analytical too. But criminology, yeah, it sounds as though it's doing some serious work for or against the state. Yeah. yeah. If you go to the States, they usually blame also Nixon, eh, who started the debate uh, that was later uh, used almost in the same words by by Trump. Eh? But in Europe, I have the impression that it was a little bit later, and even it was the Labour Party who started with this tough on crime, tough on the causes of crime, or, or, or maybe already Thatcher started with this kind of uh, argument. I, I, I really don't know. Well, um, I, I don't have a genealogy of the development of criminology as a subject in, uh, well, in the UK. Um, uh, but, you know, in, in spite of the fact that crime, other than cybercrime, uh, as, <laughs> uh, as, as we know, uh, and, and, and non-cyber fraud uh, has been, crime in general has been falling. Uh, it doesn't seem to have reduced the popularity of studying uh, yeah. criminology. And in a way, you have to say, well, all subjects, what, what do people do with them? Uh, the, the, there certainly aren't enough jobs to employ people as professional criminologists at the end of their undergraduate degree or the... Uh, um, or the 150 criminology master's degrees. Uh, that there are, um, yeah, they, they, and I couldn't really tell you uh, what the destinations of most of those, but if you do something that sharpens up your mind, um, you know, motivates you to be interested in the subject, um, then 
you know, isn't that enough except for those technical areas that you can actually use for jobs? Yes, but if we must also say that you, because you mentioned the diploma, but first you did other studies and you explained to me once it was a very good combination of uh, branches. Eh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I started at Oxford uh, doing philosophy, politics and economics, which is what um, most of the prime ministers that we've had, uh, I'm not saying this is a, a good thing, uh, uh, it, have studied with the exception of Boris Johnson, who did classics. But most people have done uh, PPE, which is different from um, uh, personal protection equipment. Um, it's philosophy, <laughs> politics and economics, uh, which have become used to the phrase in English during COVID. Then I was sort of thinking around what should I do next? Oh, no, I don't really want to get a job. Um, I, I should do postgraduate work. And I was thinking about doing sociology, which I'd studied a little of in my first degree, though it wasn't uh, respectable enough for Oxford to uh, give it kind of full equivalent status. You know, and I just hit on, well, why don't I do criminology? And I, I was actually a late applicant for Cambridge. And uh, Roger Hood, who interviewed me, um, you know, stretched the, they normally only accepted 16 people and they stretched it to 17 to accommodate me. So, I mean, on such minor things are, yeah, was my life changed? But, but there you are. So it turned out to be quite good, particularly for somebody like me who developed my interest in, in economic crime, um, uh, because, yeah, both well, philosophy, politics and economics were all uh, uh, useful. I, I was not the most diligent undergraduate student, but uh, but enough remnants remained for me to uh, uh, make use of. And and I did specialist courses in the politics of Western Europe. Um, I remember my uh, politics tutor for for some subjects uh, writing an essay on the Odenisa line. Uh, in in Red Barrow, which was all I had available, and he said, "I hope that doesn't mark the political tenor of your essay." Anyway, it, it turned out to be a useful, yeah. But criminology in those days, uh, my fellow students at Cambridge came from uh, law, sociology, psychology, um, uh, medicine, politics. Um, yeah, and that that was probably a bit probably probably the majority were lawyer had law degrees. And that I wonder often if it is a good idea to have an undergraduate uh, program in criminology because then you lose all this diversity that uh, that you are mentioning. Well, yes, I mean that that's an arguable point, but uh, most of my fellow criminology staff would be unemployed. Yeah, <laughs> uh, if that was the case. So, but the you know, so we got to look at the basic kind of, if you like, economics of um, of staff as well as student recruitment. Um, and uh, so criminology would be a much smaller subject. It would, it would still be bigger than it was when I started. Um, uh, but the, you know, who knows, I might have been a multimillionaire uh, uh, offshore asset. Uh, uh, banker, but I'm still working at my advanced age because I'm interested. Yeah, but at the same time, I, I, I see the point. I'm not sure that all the programs um, ha 
have this um, possibility of knowing something of philosophy. You know, you could do an undergrad, but add a few classes that are related to what you mentioned, economy, politics, philosophy. When I look at the programs, I'm not sure that there are a lot. I, I, I agree. I think that's a rather profound observation, and, and, and I think it's rather sad. Uh, there's no correlation between uh, research prestige and the the popularity of places to do criminology. So it's a rather odd situation. So yeah, people don't get very much analytical training that it varies how much pure criminology, whatever pure criminology is, they do uh, in my own university for reasons I won't go into. Um, we don't have as as many criminology courses as as we might like, but the uh, but but many students in in sociology too are astonishingly ignorant of economics and of philosophy. Uh, so uh, that that's a case for maintaining it as a graduate uh, uh, discipline, but the world would would be very different and i would figure that if you did it that way the the vast majority of criminology staff in the uk would be unemployed yeah no, um, i understand yeah there is a general trend towards hyper specialization in all the branches and i'm not sure that this but i see i see the point that you make the, the problem in my opinion is that um, uh, sometimes, as you, as you mentioned, there is such a wide diversity, even in, with the definition of criminology to start with, that you could put in the same table people from different universities. And I wonder, apart from the basic theories, huh, uh, which are the things that they have in common? I know it's not a problem only of, uh, of uh, criminology. In economy, you get the Nobel Prize that says A, and then the Nobel, and also a Nobel Prize that said minus a exactly the opposite and they both get the Nobel Prize. so it depends on the university it may change but i wonder which is the, the which is our common ground eh? the things that we have for sure yeah i i think um the common ground is very hard to find you know they uh, if you look at a, a lot of say the subjects that people are talking about, say, at the British Society of Criminal, at the British Criminology Conference, a lot of them may be on LGBTQI um, stuff, uh, the on trans stuff, on um, on green stuff. We might not agree about how core or non-core those uh, those are, but. Um, there's a lot of self-determination in what I mean degrees go through an external validation process um, but the but there is no commonly agreed core of stuff and the old methods of um, of courses which yeah I used to teach when I when I started I mean when I started there were um, Two staff and a part-time uh, and a professor who was part-time in criminology was also in social policy and social work. The largest undergraduate course in the Department of Social Administration, and also a, a master's course. Um, 
So that was two people. Sometimes we had three. And that was still like the third largest group in 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 the UK. Yeah, I mean, w- w- what is core and what is not? I mean, a lot of the time people, um, you know, pursue their own agendas for what they think is is interesting and important. Um, and they have no nothing in common. So you can't assume that people have studied many of the core things. I mean, I, I couldn't tell you what most places are doing. Yeah, that's an interesting observation. I mean, I'm just comparing the situation to Belgium, where we also have, of course, different universities, um, different programs, but there is this kind of Tungus communis. I mean, the, the common elements are visible in each and every university, and then, of course, professors have their specializations, which uh, can be seen in optional courses. But we try to, of course, we are a smaller country, we have less institutions, but we still try to have our students uh, follow the same red thread, basic courses. I mean, I think it has advantages and disadvantages if you have so many programs, but maybe the differentiation also has to do something with um, where it is being taught. If I'm right, criminology in the UK is being taught at so many levels. I mean, undergraduate, but also with regard to social work, uh, it can be um, some kind of minor course, um, which is not the case in, in Belgium. Maybe that's the reason why there is such a huge diversity and kind of programs. Um, or am I wrong here? There is no real centralized control. And and it's so big that this, if you like, post-modernity uh, fracturing can happen uh, quite easily. Now, yeah, I expect there are things that are in common uh, in 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 most in most departments, but w- the extent to which people feel an obligation to teach what used to be the kind of core things, you know, there is no control over. So you'd have to do a, a research study of your own, which um, uh, is not my personal. Um, uh, area of interest um, to to find out you know what they should. I mean, there are common uh, standards and there are common metrics w- which uh, the uh, British Society of Criminology has been kind of uh, uh, pushing. So uh, I, I, I maybe unintentionally exaggerated the fractured postmodern nature of this. Uh, uh, process, but there's no obligation to follow uh, that, and it's taught in in so many ways. Yeah, there's no central authority that is dictating, um, and there isn't enough communality, as in the Belgian case. I mean, as as you know, Levin, I, I was on the uh, committee that that inspected the University of Ghent, uh, and very good it was. I mean, we have an increasingly active office of student that that looks at student satisfaction and adequacy and a whole range of factors, but they don't look at content in the same way. They're they're, they're looking to reduce discontent, perhaps. And there's the 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 research excellence framework, which um, 
because it evaluates our, um, our our research and publishing uh, work. But but in this issue about the standardization of common curriculum, uh, there isn't much. I mean, people look at other institutions and they maybe copy them. And there may be an element in some places of, well, I don't know very much about that, so I won't teach it. You know, if one were honest about it, uh, which uh, affects some places uh, rather than other. Whereas, for example, when I started, I just had a sense of obligation. Uh, you know, what is the core bit of a criminological curriculum? This is what we've got to cover. Uh, I'm not sure that sense of a belief in a you know, in a common essence of the subject exists anymore. And that may be even the the side effect of the uh, revolution in criminology that happened in the mid-70s. Okay. So you mean because of rather um, epistemological and philosophical discussions that there is no longer any strong um, sense of community or higher levels of diversity people teach what they prefer to teach can also be a consequence of the hyper specialization that people just teach their own specialities or i mean um levels of um i mean courses which they have uh, mastered i mean if you look at, at the future of criminology, the hyper-specialization, I mean, you cannot even speak of sociological or psychological criminology without defining 20 subdivisions or subfields. So it's indeed, uh, I think it's a, a huge challenge and I don't really see easy solution with regard to educational programs, but uh, it's an interesting discussion, an interesting topic anyhow. Yeah, I think it preceded the hyper-specialization. Um, I think it, it related to the um, uh, Lebensraum that the uh, that Taylor Walton and Young um, uh, caused with the new criminology and critical criminology, you know, to overthrow the certainties of the old guard. I mean, the old guard thought they had an idea of what criminology was and it was about studying the causes of, of crime and uh, the radical movement which led to the also to the growth of criminology or coincided with it uh, rather um, in particularly in sociology departments less in law departments so one of the that fissures was to focus attention on on the problematic nature of lawmaking the problematic nature of law enforcement and the problematic uh, nature of labeling people as as criminals and uh, so once you start from that position well you've got a finite amount of time what is it that you're going to study do you study the social construction of crime and the social construction of punishment or do you actually you know try and explain why people commit offenses which offenses i would add how do their criminal careers develop um uh, which of course you can do in an interactive way because you don't need 
whatever routine activities theory is or claims to be, it certainly forces people to look at crime and its interaction with social control as well as legal control. Yeah, people have a different spin on all of those. Obviously, if you're looking at serial killers, then the temptation is, unless you're doing a kind of media uh, exercise, to look at something gone wrong in, in, in their genes or their family relationships and or their family relationships. But of course, if you're looking at fraudsters, uh, as I do, then, you know, do you do the same or, or is it something a bit different? Uh, yeah, so it depends uh, what aspects of, of crime. Yeah, a, a lot of people who've been appointed nowadays are activists and they and they see activism as being part of their, uh, their role. So um, the older... Some of the older generation, I'm talking about my generation, uh, some of the older generation may have seen themselves as activists, but we're now passe. Um, you know, so I, I think there are different sort of generations of people and different level. Yeah, given the, the, the amount of criminology in the UK, it, it would probably be a mistake to, to expect them to be or to state that they were all research active. Yeah. yeah, people, you know, the teaching loads are, qu are quite high. People are expected. Um, I know it's more disciplined on in continental Europe, uh, but people are expected to spend a lot of time uh, teaching, marking, uh, etc. And, you know, so it, it's a it, it, it in some respects, it's more like a Hochschule. Uh, than it is a, a, a university as, yeah, you know, as in the kind of people who get to our level think think of what we what we do. Um, so you know, it would be extraordinary if if the number of staff I don't know how many people teach criminology, but there's a lot of places uh, we're all active researchers. What what would we all do? At, at the same time, uh, this huge diversity, and of course, the UK is the place where you have, but also Belgium uh, uh, and the Netherlands have a lot of criminologists, but uh, if you look at the numbers of people attending conferences uh, of the European Society, for example, the UK still has uh, the, the largest number. Huh? Um, I don't have the impression that there is debate among all these different um, ways of doing criminology. Eh? Um, I have more the impression that everyone is uh, working on her or his side and there is not a lot of confrontation. Leven had a nice article on a debate about um, um, developmental criminology and biological uh, issues, but uh, even that it is not something that uh, that made the headlines. Uh, I have had some discussions, especially with colleagues um, um from uh, the spanish speaking world um but i don't see a lot of debate i wonder in the 70s when the when it is started in the conferences of course i, I understand that they were a smaller conference that was there really a debate there yeah yeah things used to be much more active i mean if you think about the history of, of this and uh i'm possibly the oldest uh, actively practicing 
criminologists from that era. So I remember in 1973, when I went to the National Deviancy Conference, as well as the, the, uh, uh, the Cambridge Criminology Conference, uh, there was a lot more debate about the limits of what we were studying and what the focus should be. There was a lot more normative um, uh, debate about what was the correct way of taking into these accounts. In fact, I remember being on the train on the way to the Cambridge Criminology Conference, which was uh, Radzinovitz's swan song as professor. Some people, I won't name them, but I know they're talking about the, well, of course, these young Turks. The, <laughs> the, uh, uh, no offense meant to President Edouard, they're these young Turks, and it, uh, when it, uh, they didn't recognize me, I was unimportant, still am. I said, I'll have a, a young Turkish coffee, please. I said, said to them on the, on, on the train. And they looked rather startled. Uh, they, yeah, so there was more serious debate. And it was partly because the old guard were seen as doing not really Lombrosian, but taking a lot of, taking for granted the unproblematic nature of crim of the definitions of criminality whereas the younger guys were saying well you know who uh, as laurie taylor uh, memorably wrote in a book that has long since disappeared on deviance uh yeah the, the society was like a giant fruit machine but nobody asked who put who put the machine in and who takes the profits yeah uh, which I think is a very powerful uh, analogy for what people felt. Now, yeah, I wasn't in the vanguard of the new uh, criminology. In fact, I remember you, you say about debates and in, in, in conferences. I remember getting up, uh, Jock Young was, was doing his talk on critical criminology and was advocating local community policing control. And I got up and uh, I said, you mean like Malcolm X, uh, the, the, the Panthers? I said, how would um, uh, homosexuals and Jews fare in, in you know, such a local community control uh, 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 model? You know, what about minority rights? And... Uh, this was viewed with some horror, I, 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 I would say. Uh, but the, uh, and I would still maintain the importance of, <laughs> of that critique. Um, because the, as I said, you know, you can't assume that the majority of people in, whether in working class communities or middle class uh, communities are going to be liberal and tolerant and hip like us. Yeah, you, you, you know, the, the majoritarianism is a threat. You know, so that, that, that was an example. Now, it's true that I was the only person to get up and, and make that remark, uh, uh, which didn't endear me particularly, um, but, but tough, you know. So, uh, yeah, but, but people did argue about that kind of, of thing. And, of course, what Jock was saying was radically different 
from what any of the uh, the old Turks conventional criminologists uh, would have uh, would have been arguing. Uh, you know, yeah. So this notion of well, whose side are you on? And uh, yeah, people used to have proper arguments about about that and about um, the the correctness of legal constructions of crime in ways that yeah maybe they're happening as much I, I, I'm not in lots of places but they don't happen very much in the uh, in the criminology societies or the criminology conferences and in a way that the large number of parallel sessions um, may you know don't don't help uh, and that relates to Levin's point about the um, the the hyper specialization um, yeah yeah some of the older criminologists who taught me um, uh, you know once said well yeah I I I admire the way that that you stick to these uh, minority areas Michael. Yeah, like corruption, white collar crime, organized crime, uh, money laundering. The the uh, and he didn't mean it ironically, uh, but uh, uh, yeah, I can't help feeling well as opposed to what sentencing the motoring offender or uh, yeah. So so this notion that that there is partly a battle for the soul of what we do, and also of those things that are easier to study. And that you can apply complex methodologies to um, more readily than others. It's a pity that this uh, debate disappeared, but you were involved in a couple of them. I remember also an article that you published about who has been quoted. Uh, <laughs> and this, yeah. I mean, it's a little bit lost, but uh, it's a nice debate. Um, only that there are so many things published, eh? but in an anthology, we could make an anthology of the debates. You, you play the role, eh? Yeah, yeah. So in 1993, uh, when when uh, David Farrington um, and Ellen Cohn uh, did the first of their Who Are the Most Influential English-Speaking Criminologists articles, which slightly to my surprise that British Journal of Criminology published, um, the... So I wrote a spoof critique called She's Giving Me Good Citations to the <laughs> tune of the Beach Boys. Uh, She's giving me good citations, <laughs> uh, uh, which uh, David Farrington found quite offensive. Um, uh, the And critiquing, making the point, uh, which I still uh, immodestly think is correct, that our citations are a function of what, what are the modal things that people write about. Yeah, you know, the 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 Kuhnian paradigm um, is 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 one that is much debated. Uh, but clearly, if people are writing about uh, juvenile delinquency and uh, gangs and uh, criminal careers uh, of offenders that exclude white collar and corporate crimes, then then they won't be citing me very much, uh, you know. So it was partly driven by egotism, uh, uh, but 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 also by uh, I think a correct sense that that I was I was problematizing the concept of influence, 
and suggesting, uh, I think empirically rightly, that uh, people often got cited because they would be the anonymous referees who would think you aren't scholarly if you didn't cite them, uh, a view which David Farrington found horrifying, um, but, uh, but was based on a modest and non-systematic sample uh, of people that I, I yeah, it's just common sense that power exists in in journals. You know, you have to make the right noises. But also, if you're writing about minority stuff, you're very unlikely to change the what everybody else is thinking. I mean, there are some people, Jock Young, David Garland, um, for example, uh, who have, I think, radically transformed the way or Stan Cohen, uh, the way people think about things. Um, but the rest of us probably haven't. Uh, I, I don't see why people writing about juvenile crime should be using things that I've done, uh, except perhaps to think about, you know, if if members of British elites get sent away to boarding school at a very young age and have cold uh, uncaring relationships with their parents. Some of them may become king. Some of them may become, you know, captains of industry, w wealthy landowners, in which context some of them may commit white collar crimes. A and that kind of childhood experience may have something to do with uh, their behaviors. They may, uh, yeah, or they may learn ruthless hypocrisy um, from, yeah. So in a way, by neglecting the area of white collar crime, a lot of uh, other areas of criminality lose something, um, but it's only a very minority and, and they wouldn't be committing white collar crime as juveniles. It would only be if you really did a, um, a particular form of life course criminology that you would... Um, uh, the, that you might take that into account, perhaps, perhaps moving beyond crime, beyond beyond convicted offenders, into zemiology uh, or harm, you know, uh, you know, or, or maybe they're running corporations that have been dealt with for infractions rather than for crime. So yeah. there, there's a lot of components to that. But yeah, that was, yes, I did play a part in, uh, and, and sadly for me, I got probably got more comments from, of approval from colleagues uh, for that piece than I did for most other things that I've written because it affected most people. So yeah, I mean, I, occasionally I do like to stir things up, it's true. I, I know, and, uh, and this is what is, um... Yeah, what is me? Uh, what I think is missing today, because um, the universities and, and the academia should be a place to debate ideas. But of course, you mentioned that the problem with activism is that usually activists think in terms of right and wrong, uh, so they know what they think they know what is right for everyone, and then the rest is bad. And we are trying to think in terms of uh, probably false or probably true. And there is, these are two axes that, that do not match. Eh? But uh, in any case, what you did there, I mean, uh, well, the idea of the modes, uh, the, at one moment, everybody's talking about something or even in the time, in the kind of 
analysis that are done. Eh? You must do this kind of analysis in this moment. And, and also the concept of influence, eh? influential, being quoted does not necessarily mean influential. And, but in any case, I miss this kind of, uh, of debates. Eh? Um, and probably, I mean, you were in several cases. I mean, when you started studying economic crime, you were quite alone. Not a lot of people was were doing that kind of uh, of research. Eh? Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah, and as it was not popular, for example, um, but you mentioned critical criminology. For example, the books in critical criminology were translated, for example, to Spanish. All of them. Eh? Uh, while other classic books were never translated just because of usually yeah, affinities that doesn't have to do a lot with science, but more with yeah, with the um, views of the world. And and this creates some um, some confusion. Perhaps um, a good thing there is this um, philosopher that created the the channel, the school of life, eh? um, this British philosopher, the name will come immediately. And he has in one place, it has the, the curricula. Eh? And so it's uh, the writers that you should know, the philosophers that you should know. And maybe one project for us to have a, for us would be to have a, a small curricula, let's say the classic uh, criminologists like you explaining one topic and eh? keep this um, in open access for for uh, anyone that wants to know exactly what at least they they should know i think huh? also i have an i have another question uh, you started with economic crime when no one was there and then you jumped into cybercrime also quite quickly eh? so you you how, how did that happen yeah obviously i'm an analog criminologist when i started for 10 years uh, after I started my PhD, the, the cr computers did not exist. So the uh, so uh, yeah, I typed my two hundred and forty thousand word PhD because nobody told me to stop. Yeah, they had the corrector ribbon. You had three lines to change something. Otherwise, you had to retype the page. And being intelligent, I waited until the end before I numbered the pages. Uh, the the and I had a, a stamp that numbered the. The, the, imagine having to do that now. It's barely conceivable. But I don't consider myself a a, yeah, a, a real cyber expert. But I, I felt that how could you understand these criminal and social phenomena properly without having without trying to make sense of uh, of, of this extra dimension. To me, it wasn't kind of intellectually um, tenable, even though, you know, uh, uh, if somebody asked me to develop a, a computer program to, uh, to to commit cybercrime or to prevent it, uh, you know, I wouldn't be able to do that. But it seemed to me that the you had to understand a bit about the cyber world uh, and the private sector, as well as the public sector of cyber control reduction, in order to make sense of the pattern of economic 
crime. Um, so, you know, imagine if today, you know, you were explain, trying to explain fraud and you excluded, on, excluded online fraud. You know, very weird pattern. I mean, there, there's an issue about, well, where, where, where does this end? Is, is all banking cyber-enabled crime? because you know what kind you know so you, you can run into analytical problems of, of of that kind um but you have to uh take on board and and also be able to assess to what extent it's a moral panic um about cyber crime which neglects uh other types of uh of crime so unless you try and master that i mean there, there are people around who are more technically gifted uh, and, and more intelligent than i am but but that's okay that's just the way uh, uh, things are but I, I didn't feel that it was so i think i first started looking at cyber stuff around 1999 um and, and that was quite early writing about it and thinking about it both as a a, a media moral panic and also about how it affected the organization of criminality uh, yeah and also for that matter i admitted uh, yeah young people got involved in economic crimes who would not have been old enough to be engaged in offline economic crimes you know so what difference does remoteness of the offender from the victim i mean yeah, when I, in the 1990s, I was writing about, you know, Nigerian fraudsters sending 419 fraud letters, but they used to type out letters or write letters to people. I mean, that requires labor. Yeah, I remember going to Nigeria and saying, well, you know, you won't have a, your economic crime won't be easier until you have a more reliable electricity supply. Because the, during the vice president of Nigeria's speech, uh, at the conference I was speaking, I was a kind of main speaker at, there have been two power failures. So, of course, fraudsters usually have their own generators. Yeah, but it started out as letters. I mean, there were letters, uh, and that required more labor than uh, sending emails. So th this, has dropped the, this has led to a fall in the number of people, probably, who are committing uh, 419 fraud because you can you can have more efficiency in 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 fraud per person so it's thinking about issues like that and how it and how the technology spreads and alters the shape of uh, criminality that i think is personally is very interesting um and yeah i continue to do work on online fraud as well as offline fraud but i say i'm not putting myself up as a as a technical expert, some criminologists uh, are much better at this than me. Yeah, but I'm not sure that the technical aspect, I mean, for the for the analysis, of course, I, I can understand yeah. it. But um, I think that what is missing is a little bit the, the reflection. And I have heard editors of different journals complaining about the lack of, um, of theoretical developments, you know, because um, no, a lot of articles are, are very straightforward. This is my data. Uh, this is the background. This is the data, the, the methods, results, find, uh, and um, 
discussion conclusion and you don't get uh, um, a context a reflection that that goes beyond what the what the data is showing and i think since your first articles you always gave a place to that although currently i think that it's even more difficult to publish um something in the in the let's say the mainstream journals eh? if there is a lot of reflection um I am not sure that this is easy to pass. I think it's easy to pass with a classic article than, than with the other one, but uh, I don't know. Maybe what what would you say is now the best way to promote ideas? The articles or or are we, should we go back to books? Yeah, books, blogs. Uh, yeah, you can probably get as much. You know, I think I don't think these are mutually exclusive. I know there was an argument that um, uh, the editors of the last Oxford Handbook of Criminology, who I admire greatly, put forward in the introduction to uh, to it. There's a new one coming out. There's always a new one coming out uh, since I, I've been engaged. The first three Oxford Handbooks, by the way, I wrote the violent crime chapters because I was fed up with being typecast. As, uh, <laughs> uh, um, but And I thought I had some interesting things to say about violent crime. But yeah, so I think we need to broaden our lenses. Uh, it is possible to write a big book as well as write articles. Uh, although I have to say I'm, I'm rather slow uh, myself in finishing. But the, uh, but also if you you know blogs and other things, we need to, we need. But we do need to think about fora where this kind of active debate. Um, uh, yeah, like Levin's own efforts uh, can can happen. It's harder to do in a journal unless you set aside a place. I mean, criminology and criminal justice. When uh, I, when I was editor, uh, that's the British Society of Criminology's journal. Um, you know, we used to have a, a kind of critical debate uh, a section. I'm not sure it really worked that that well, but it 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 worked better than not having that. Um, uh, but but eventually that I think faded out or it it, it lapsed. I think yeah, I don't see it any longer. Huh? Um, yeah. I also Michael Tonry when he was editing the newsletter, he used sometimes to put people together. To debate something, so maybe that's also a format. I realize that when you organize a, a round table, sometimes people are extremely polite, and so the discussion never arises. Eh? I saw Zizek uh, with the Yuval Noah Harari, and it was extremely polite, and they were um, they are they reach agreements in everything. I saw him also debating with Zizek um, with jo Jordan Peterson, and it was also soft they didn't took they didn't take uh, extreme different positions everybody is very polite nowadays in these debates when they are front when they are in front of them one in front of the other eh? so oh, maybe that's an argument for doing it online um, i don't know I, I i'm not in such high circles but the i mean it's interesting you know when when certainly when i was a student at cambridge nobody could accuse the late dick sparks as opposed to richard sparks at edinburgh of being polite to anybody and the tradition in philosophy for example is of quite vicious 
kind of seminars. So I, I, I'm, I'm not sure where, wh why people have suddenly uh, uh, become so polite. Maybe, maybe they think they will be, if you like, punished by the audience if, if they are rude. Yeah, I'm not sure there's a lot you can do about that, except perhaps to give people almost a role. Uh, of you know you 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 uh, you advocate for this and you advocate against this and yeah so if you treat it like a kind of formal debating role or a party political uh, debate or something that then uh, then people might be able to say to themselves I'm just acting in role I'm not really being nasty <laughs> yeah this can this in the cl classes of rhetorics uh was a classic thing to do uh, to put people yeah. to defend um one position yeah that uh, that could be um yeah in the case i i miss this kind of debates but now that you mentioned it the Oxford handbook uh, the Oxford handbook of criminology is a good example of a basic curricula eh, of uh, of criminology and yeah and it's been expanding and widening and including lots of new things uh the new one which i have contributed to on both white collar crime and terrorism. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll have even more. But uh, yeah, on the one hand, as Levin pointed out, there's the hyper specialization. Uh, so it, it, it's yeah, how many people writing about green crime are also doing anything about juvenile delinquency would be a question. Yeah, or how many people on corporate crime? Uh, uh, likewise, yeah, these are, I would say there are like motifs around some people, whether they are also relating to the institutions, because we, we all, but I think there's been a decline in people coming together in the same institution. Yeah, because yeah I think that's true, yeah, I have the same impression, but isn't it so that everybody's just looking for an own niche to, I mean, that's probably one of the explanations that people who are into corporate crime do not study juvenile delinquency. I mean, not everybody can study the same subject, so people look for an own niche and then they are like talking together, a new school emerges and, and people discuss within schools, but no longer between schools. So that's uh, two opposite yeah. evolutions going together. Uh, yeah. Um... Yeah, even even in 1971, I would say that the, um, the the there wasn't that much harmony in the Institute of Criminology. Um, but in those days, people had at least studied the court. It was easy to study the same things because there wasn't much else. Mm -hmm. Now we have it's a bit like uh, people write about the um, dilemmas of, of of too much choice. Um, in supermarkets, yeah, we have the same issue in criminology. I mean, how many handbooks? Uh, oh, too many. Yeah, Way yeah. Too many. I mean, I normally refuse, but the um, how many handbooks can you have? There's, you know, economists would call this market failure. You know, how do you how do you decide which is the best handbook? Um, That's a very interesting issue you are raising now because. Um, you know, I have my course on criminology and I mean, when I started, I, I used to read them all because I was curious to see the similarities and differences. I mean, 
I have the impression that sometimes with regard to several theories, people don't even read the original articles. And so you see copies of copies of ideas and it's like, you know, copying an idea after 100 copies, the theory has changed completely. So yeah. textbooks are becoming terrible. People should read the original stuff. I mean, I like original readers with the basic ideas from Lombroso to contemporary scholars, but read the originals and stop making so many handbooks. Um, yes, but 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 even without being too flattering, um, you know, you, you're a, a, a serious scholar and thinker. Uh, lots of people are just trying to kind of get a job done. The uh, you know, and and it's very difficult to avoid that. I mean, one of the reasons that I say no to most requests. How many times can you re-churn? Uh, uh, I mean, without being too immodest, I, I, I'm I'm reasonably notable in a range of areas, and so I often get get asked, or or some people deliberately avoid asking. But but uh, but how many times do I want to write an overview of white collar crime, or an overview of organised crime, or an overview of cyber crime, or an overview of money laundry? Yeah, you. Uh, what else fresh can you say about uh, a, a subject? I mean, fortunately, all of those things are changing. But why would you want to write, keep writing a, a, an overview? So, um, yeah, everything has an opportunity cost. And what we maybe lack, because there is so much stuff around, what, what we lack is kind of fresh um approach which you can often get by reading the originals because you discover stuff in there that nobody is you know re it's refracted through a glass darkly uh and as the bible says and now i see uh, yeah but it, but it's hard to refresh. and if you feel obliged to review everything how much energy do you have left to say something fresh exactly yourself yeah. At Oxford, we used to have to write an essay every two weeks, um, uh, which you read out in front of your tutor and the one other person in the room. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so that that was a pretty, uh, and and we had I can't remember what the topic was, but um, I hadn't done a, a great deal of reading, and my tutor said, "Well, yes, but I mean Durkheim uh, changed his line of argument. For who the hell is Durkheim?" Yeah, so I, I felt glad. I mean, I'd come, Durkheim had come to the same conclusion as I had. You know, sometimes, you know, it, it's, it, it's death to, to have to, yeah, read everything in the field. It just becomes a, a, a crunching. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I think it, yeah, the problem is it's very difficult to get generalists that can give an overview um, nowadays. Eh? Another thing that I think is interesting is um, we talk about how criminology changed. And if you think about the crime eh, in your lifespan, the, um, you have always been studying um, specific kinds of crime. But in general, if you think of crime in the, in the UK in the 70s when you were studying and you think of crime today, um, apart from cyber crime, but do you see and which are the changes that you that that you would identify well some kind of crimes have been reduced by 
mostly by situational crime prevention type methods, you know, car crime, theft of cars, for example, um, uh, or by, te by technological devices. It doesn't stop people stealing catalytic converters, you know, which I see has been booming in America as, as, as well. Um, so, yeah, there may be some sub some subcomponents of car crime uh, that are growing as people move towards uh, electric vehicles or uh, uh, whatever. There, then there may be some things that they can steal bits of that have got a market value. Um, so I think understanding those kind of changes in the organization of thieving, as uh, Mary McIntosh in a wonderful little book uh, on the organization of crime, 1975, much neglected, uh, uh, discussed, and, and 1971 at the National Deviancy uh, uh, Conference. Uh, the So changing the organization of thieving uh, are, are interesting, Paulette Blom referred to them as sort of arms race. Th those kinds of, uh, of things, those relate to particular, usually subsets of uh, uh, forms of crime. Uh, obviously, domestic violence has rightly become, uh, and I'm not just saying this for political correctness, has rightly become my government, uh, as far as we have one. Um, uh, that, that is the UK government and not the Welsh government. Uh, has just made uh, domestic violence a um, a national security, a national security threat. And uh, yeah, w w what will change as a result of that is an empirical question that is very interesting. Yeah, but obviously it kills more people than terrorism uh, does. Uh, but it's a, but unlike terrorism, it's a much more distributed social threat. If I had my time, I would get people thinking about the national security threats. Um, they've also said that fraud is a national security issue. Some of my colleagues at RUSI, the Royal United Services Institute, uh, 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 and that seems to be taken on board by the government as well. So how many national security threats can can we have? And, and what are the similarities and differences? Uh, you know, using my broad uh, and being somewhat interested in the conceptual nature, what do we mean by a national security threat? Uh, it's a flexible labeling construct. Yeah, people should be thinking more about that kind of uh, uh, thing. Uh, so there's a political process of inclusion, exclusion, and then there's the practical difference it, it makes to the way these things are controlled. Uh, that is something that we might reasonably be uh, thinking uh, about. Uh, if we think about the nature of crime, so a lot of drug crimes have been de, de facto decriminalized or depenalized, uh, depenalized, probably more accurate. Uh, but then they were in the 70s, uh, uh, really. But the the amount of um, of policing attention that drug crimes get is probably less. Um, so the shape of drug crimes has altered. There's a lot more opportunities for um, hydroponics and, 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 you know, we're not we're not so dependent on international importation for some drugs uh, as we are for others. Um, nature of police and criminal justice corruption, the um, 
uh, into forced cooperation. Um, uh, you know, fraud has obviously come up. I mean, now 41% of, of recorded crime in uh, computer misuse, likewise, the, the second equal in England and Wales, according to the Crime Survey for England and Wales. So gradually people have started recording uh, you know, I, I advocated for this in the 90s, but nobody was uh, was listening. Uh, and, and then we would have had a better sense of the, 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 the growth. But that's life. You know, you may you, you try arguments and not everybody agrees. And if you don't have power, then uh, so fraud is is up. Car crime and theft from vehicles has gone down. Maybe burglary again. Um, particularly during COVID. Some kinds of crimes that require particular technologies have been have been going up. Uh, but the, the core staples, domestic violence as opposed to street violence, um, the public health approach to violence, um, uh, yeah, it's maybe had some effect on reducing certain forms of street violence. You know, soccer gang delinquency was once, uh, you know, a, a kind of big issue. Now we look at it as the product of uh, French policing behaviour um, in the European Cup final and the lies that are told um, about the fans. So that would be an, a, almost a metaphor for new criminology that we've changed the focus since Hillsborough, you know, the, uh, of scepticism to about police accounts. Of course, it was unfortunate and no doubt a pure accident that all the CCTV was wiped uh, around, uh, you know, yeah, for the European Cup final. I'm sure it was an accident. Some people might say differently. Um, so, you know, it's a question of how we interpret things. So the, the whole area around legitimacy and procedural legitimacy which i think maybe is overcooked but uh, but but legitimacy all these areas are much more debated than they were when i was a student um but if you're talking about well what has changed in in crime i think juvenile crime is sort of less uh, obsessed about you know, careers in, in kind of violence, we kind of, yeah, maybe haven't changed so much, but but maybe due to interventions in domestic violence have, 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 have altered, though still very common. If we think about property crimes, though, uh, certainly, you know, fraud, computer crimes, ransomware. Um, ransomware now is classified as a tier one national security threat in the UK, and rightly, in my opinion. I don't think the, the changes have been that dramatic, but the way people kind of write and talk and the media programs about them, even money laundering, which was very, very niche when I started my research in 1988, is now in popular television programs, uh, on streaming, etc. So I think the, the, yeah, the depth of field of crime I, if I had to make a comment, it is now more thought about. Um, I've just attended uh, um, a talk about the yeah the transatlantic move again moves against illicit finance um, and the implications for different 
kinds of crimes. That's still very niche for criminology, but in the world, uh, much more significant. You know, you cannot open a bank account without, you know, doing a lot more things than you used to do. In, in Switzerland, for example, the problem is that the stereotypes are still there. Eh? But nowadays, it would be extremely difficult for um, for a non-resident to open uh, a bank account. It's interesting when you mention drugs. Eh? It, when you think about it, you remember the huge scan huge scandal because they found a plant of marijuana in Paul McCartney's uh, house. And then Mick Jagger and Keith Rich are going to jail. And I remember and in one of the 100 uh, documentaries about the Rolling Stones, Mick Jagger going out of jail and saying, well, you know, this nowadays is forbidden, but who knows what's going to happen uh, later. So, uh, of course, he was completely right without having studied criminology. Yeah? But this is difficult to... Um, not, in, not, in the, not in the UK. <laughs> not in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but many things have um, that were so important at one moment um, changed. Some some of um, of our colleagues also mentioned the the um, demographic composition, for example, of of, uh, of prisons, and the the kind of persons who uh, were involved in crime in the seventies, also because. The societies have changed, yeah? and um, you mentioned Jog Young when he was he was talking about working class criminology. Probably the the world that he's describing does not exist anymore. Eh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in that sense, it is postmodern. I mean, the gig economy, um, people's sense of place. I mean, uh, I'm very unusual. I've been uh, working in the same university for nearly 48 years, yeah, on the staff. Uh, but, I mean, the nature of people uh, and my family all live locally. Uh, and that's become quite rare. You know, people move out, professional people kind of move out. And, uh, I mean, COVID maybe has changed people's preferences, their understanding of their interdependence, uh, etc. But the, and support, um, that's a hypothesis which we'll see as other pandemics appear. Yeah, I mean, the nature of class um, has changed. Um, the nature of the geography of crime, as Dick Hobbs uh, has has noted uh, as well, as, uh, uh, has, has altered. And of course, those of us like you and me who study cyber uh, a little bit, that we know uh, that that people's relationships online uh, and relationships between strangers and collaboration, network collaboration, criminal collaboration between strangers is, is a much more significant thing nowadays and, and how people defend and, uh, uh, um, uh, and oppose. Um, yeah, so th there's research on this, but the, or a little bit of research on this, but there probably should be, should be more how people insulate themselves from risk or fail to do so. Um, and how the police cope or don't with, with this. Uh, these are all quite big uh, uh, issues for contemporary uh, criminology. So I would say, yes, those things have changed. Demographics were 
are older, people are getting longer sentences for, for violence. There's an accumulation of those. If you add terrorism to that, uh, I mean, the, the prison population has doubled since, since I came to Cardiff, but not as a result. Yeah, so those kinds of things. Yeah, and, and the prime minister's answer to that, the present prime minister, Rishi Sunak's answer to that, is that, well, we obviously got to build more prisons. Other people uh, may disagree, but they, but, but you can see, yeah, and in a way, the more that particular crimes, as Martin Innes, my colleague, uh, uh, says, you know, the more, the, the more crimes that become signal crimes, uh, it's harder to give people a, a lower sentence. You know, anything less than something very severe becomes politically uh, uh, dangerous, undermining social trust. So the more fuss that is made of particular crimes, uh, e even including some limited subset of white collar crimes, uh, like Bernie Madoff, you know, you could say, well, these are just symbolic uh, uh, hangings, uh, metaphorical hanging. The, the changes in contemporary penality uh, are, are also very interesting to study. And certainly drug offenders um, uh, yeah, are, 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 are treated differently nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of changes which are interesting to uh, um yeah to take note um perhaps we are too close to to realize how this has changed yeah? i have a, also a quick question because you mentioned at one moment situational crime prevention helped a lot reducing sometimes of sometimes of crime eh? and situational crime prevention is a british invention let's say it's wilkins yeah who is seldom acknowledged and and then uh, the work of the home office with Ron Clark and Patricia Mayhew, who we are going to interview soon. Why do you think there is so much resistance still to the opportunity-based uh, theories? I think it's partly perhaps a, a lack of commitment to crime reduction the, as administrative criminology in Jock Young's pejorative terminology. Uh, whereas, of course, situational crime prevention approach to green crime might be more popular. Yeah, so it depends on you, whether you care about the crime. So it's a question of, you know, what we monitor and with what tools it is, is an important thought. I hold that thought. So it's seen as being rather, yeah, people who've not had their car stolen or their house burgled or, yeah, it might be a bit, uh, condescending uh, uh, um, uh, uh, about those about those things and you know so property marking really I mean actually the evidence on property marking is is a lot weaker um, street lighting street lighting could be you know if you're trying to reduce women's fear of crime could be quite an important uh, uh, thing though of course if you scream and nobody does anything then then uh, so what um, but the or the growth of CCTV, uh, closed circuit television, is also important. So, so there's a range of things um, which people may be more or less sympathetic to. So I think uh, it's seen as tinkering with uh, on on the edges, and you don't need many criminologists to uh, to look at, at, at those 
issue. So that seems to be specialized. So um, I have many criticisms of crime science, uh, but, but it certainly has its place. And um, I think people are wrong to think of it as unimportant. But you might, must always also think about, well, where is it not working? What is the role of situational crime prevention in domestic violence? What is the role of situational crime prevention in um, in credit card fraud would be quite high because the banks are watching our transactions up to a point. Um, but in uh, corporate fraud, you know, or elite fraud. So, so I, I think one of the reasons why uh, situational crime prevention uh, is maybe a little bit looked down on is, first of all, it's not telling you anything about social class. The assumption that, that the number of willing offenders is a given, it just seems strange. Well, it is strange. Uh, but even if the, the number of willing offenders is not a given, you can still affect the level of offending by situational crime prevention. So for me as a pragmatist or, or an empirical empiricist is a negative term, but as an empirical scholar. Uh, Post positivist. Yeah. Oh, no, no. <laughs> the, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. What about negativists? Uh, yeah. So, so for me as an empirically oriented scholar, uh, you have to see the strengths and weaknesses of organized crime, uh, sorry, of situational crime prevention. Ron Clark and uh, uh, other people uh, did contribute to a book on organized crime, situational crime prevention in organized crime. Uh, and Klaus von Lamper wrote uh, some work uh, on, on this, which, uh, yeah, in addition to my stuff, I, I wouldn't fly back economy from Australia in order to attend the conference. Sorry, guys, you know, I just won't do that for anyone. So I didn't contribute to that. But but I don't have a problem with situational crime prevention. So long as people, including its sponsors, understand the limits of it. So it was really dealing, uh, it, it was really not dealing with some quite big areas of crime and its advocates seldom acknowledge that so i think that is the um, that that is is one uh, issue so i think you know if you say well situation yeah what would situational crime prevention look like for trump's presidency or for johnson's controversial perhaps they weren't parties during covid there were plenty of cops standing outside the doors but what were they looking for yeah, those are the kinds of lens widening uh, issues that I think, are, uh, you know, people, uh, you can look at, at, the, at the strengths of situational crime and try and apply it in different contexts. Say, so, well, what's the motivation for the, for the watchers? For the, for the, you know, capable guardian is a term that is uh, tautological in a sense, because uh, there are many incapable guardians or capability of guardianship is a, a linear, not a binary uh, concept. It's a matter of degree. Uh, and I think uh, there hasn't been enough conceptual interest in that for my personal taste.
Yeah, um, yeah. This, these are really good reflections, and then we will have to take them, make shots of these because they they give you um, stuff to think about it. Um, yeah, I have the impression also that in in, in um, economic crime, the the economic sanctions have also played a major role. Eh? Many of the banks they got, but this is of course, yeah, they were imposed mainly by the United States. Eh? But this changed completely the way in which um, uh, these things are dealt with. Now, if you if you go to a bank here, the first thing they ask you is, uh, do you have the American nationality? Eh? The U.S. nationality. America is a continent. Yeah, uh, it's like, <laughs> and if you have it, everything gets more complicated. But in any case, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was an economic sanction also that was um, useful. And in these debates about the length of the of prison sentences, um, this is not something that people talk a lot about. Um, yeah, what what can be done? But um, yeah, yeah, this is just a, a general. Well, the, 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 I mean, there's also stuff about yeah you know, whether punishing corporations but not individuals really means anything. Uh, you could argue, uh, and uh, I, P, uh, Peter Reuter, and I uh, have done uh, that. The yeah, anti-money laundering has certainly had an effect, but what do we know about its effect on the level and organisation of criminality? Almost nothing. So people lose. It becomes a ding and ziki. It becomes a a thing in itself, uh, a control activity that people don't evaluate the. The, the the impact of yeah i mean you have written about so many things that uh, it's easy to direct you a little bit to some uh, to some topics because there are very very nice reflections I, I was yeah i was surprised i mean you publish a lot of things mike it's difficult <laughs> the 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 person who will write your uh, your uh, biography <laughs> no, no. <laughs> they must start working now <laughs> because uh, even a I list of all your works would be difficult to establish. Eh? And um, yeah, and I don't agree when you say that your contribution when you uh, when you present your contribution as uh, as minor. But what what would you say is that the thing that that give you more um, reward in terms of what you have done as a criminologist? Personal uh, reward, something that made you feel uh, okay. This is something I would like to to keep. Yes, I mean I've been thinking about you know, yeah. What what do I want? What what motif do I want on my tombstone? <laughs> revise and <laughs> revise and resubmit. Uh, the the uh, the. Um, I think, actually, to be honest, my PhD, uh, which became the Phantom Capitalist, because uh, yeah, nobody at the time thought of really uh, looking at well, except Stan Cohen in a different way in 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 uh, mods and rockers. Um, but the nobody thought about looking at how. What how criminals acquired their skills of, of, of bankruptcy fraud, uh, how their careers developed, um, how business control as well as crime control um, affected what they were able to do, how 
the police and the courts dealt with different types of bankruptcy fraud by gangsters or by ordinary business people. Uh, that that was a radical way of thinking then. Um, and a PhD is the last time most of us have. Uh, you know, you're spending three years on one thing and no teaching. But the, the long durée of uh, the evolution of money laundering control since I first studied it in 1988 after the Brinks Matt Go Bullion robbery currently being televised on British TV in a rather, uh, in, let's say, interesting way. Um, as it happens, uh, uh, I bought my wife's um, uh, wedding ring from uh, one of the shops that John Palmer had in Cardiff. Uh, but unfortunately, it was before uh, Brinks Matt, so I don't have the pleasure of knowing that it might have been contained um, some of that. But the uh, so I think, you know, what I'd like to be remembered for, apart from a little bit of humor, is is having tried to think through the relationship between why people offend, how they offend, uh, what, are, what are the crime scripts that are required to enable them to be offend and how people try and control their behavior and looking at that as an interactive process along with lawmaking both in fraud and in money laundering um, and in corruption the evolution of law enforcement in or non-evolution in some cases uh, in combination of those so i think yeah I, i've been lucky the reason i've written quite a lot of varied stuff is because I'm very interested in a lot of thing uh, in, in a lot of things within uh, an area, but I would hope to be remembered not for the profundity of my theoretical contribution, which I think yeah has been okay, but but there are others who who've made a bigger uh, uh, contribution. But in finding some areas and grabbing around for to make sense of data of really difficult to get hold of data, particularly in the UK, immersing myself in a semi-ethnographic way in 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 the lives of both offenders and and uh, crime controllers, particularly crime controllers in, in the business world, in in uh, in the police, uh, etc., and prosecution, and to try and make sense of the what Al Reese memorably and rightly called a loose-coupled criminal justice system, and how that operates in different contexts and in different countries. So that I think the comparativism that that I'd like to claim some credit for has been a core part of my thing right from the start. Um, yeah, why why is more effort put into white collar crime control in the US uh, than in the UK, for example? So that not all capitalism is the same. Yeah, so thinking through the interconnection of those things has been a privilege of my life compared to my parents' humble upbringing. I mean, yeah, what you said is um, really, yeah, interesting and touching too at the same time. Eh? And um, it's true that this comparative view changes everything. Many people 
forget completely and they talk about like i don't know the debate on the crime drop in the us was so self-centered eh? uh, and since the beginning you but what, what was there something particular well you have a background also of with different countries what 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 there was something that pushed you to towards comparativity or when you're the son of immigrants but not all children of immigrants are interested in comparativism some people remain just interested in italy for example <laughs> without naming anybody um, the the I, I cannot ex i haven't tried to explain it but but it certainly wasn't anything i inherited from my parents. but you know my father arrived in uh, in england uh, two weeks from concentration camp two weeks before the second world war at the age of 41 he had to learn english which when you're deaf as well as when you're 41 is not easy and under terrible so so i suppose even though he never taught much about germany you know it's in your mind that you know how different cultures i mean in one country uh, all the jews were killed if who they could find in one country well we were tolerated if not positively liked although we had been expelled from england on occasions so that immediately makes you you know think about you know the contingency so you don't take things for granted uh whereas american it would be crude crude just to say parochialism yeah many british people perhaps even swiss uh, or belgians are are parochial yeah we write about stuff that is around us mostly but uh, i th i think comparativism is important because what kind of explanation do you have of something if it's not a comparative explanation i've i've always been baffled by yeah. that how can you say you have a complete explanation uh, yeah unless of course it, it's a kind of biological uh, yeah or biological and environment free uh, i fully agree and i think that yeah maybe yeah the background this, this plays a role because sometimes when, you, when one is very very local i am la nostalgie de l'infini eh? the uh, <laughs> the kiriko has this picture that i have here um, a friend of mine made it uh, for me uh, and uh, and she offered it and i have it there but this idea that um, um, you cannot be um, focused only on one thing you cannot know how things happen if you do not compare eh? but it's something that comes um, yeah, I don't know how how it is developed. Uh, maybe uh, the origins have something to do. Also, you're very open to languages. Your your father took uh, German to you? Never, never. Yeah, I know your I Welt, I know your Sprache. Yeah, so th they didn't speak. Uh, my mother was also fluent in German, although she wasn't German. But the um, but they never spoke German. Just a few words now and again. Yeah, and in those days, people didn't teach German in schools in Britain. You know, they were the enemy. Uh, the, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Still, uh, so we learned French. That was uh, and and Latin, um, but and uh, Yiddish. You didn't talk Yiddish in the house. Uh, my father was a no. The real Germans didn't speak. I mean, the Yiddish was for the 
Central European, the Hochdeutsch okay. uh, was uh, my my father didn't speak Yiddish, ah, so he certainly okay. wouldn't have spoken it at home because the the real Germans uh, didn't usually speak in uh, in Yiddish. That that was the kind of the mobile uh, Central European, Eastern European Jewry uh, language. Ah, um, okay, okay, the, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, and my mother, my mother also did, wouldn't have known any. I mean, just a few words. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because many of my friends that immigrated from what is now Poland, Ukraine, they they use common commonly. Yeah, uh, Yiddish was the language of the shtetls, the 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 small communities, uh, rural uh, uh, peoples. Yeah, my father was a master tailor in in Berlin. He made suits for Max Reinhardt and, uh, wow. and, and and top officials. You know, he wouldn't have been talking to them in Yiddish. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And your mother was also an immigrant. I didn't know that. My, my mother was born in England, but but she was uh, her parents were were came from East Prussia. Um, you know, from rural East Prussia. And uh, then they were in Königsberg, which is now Kaliningrad. So a good exit, I think. Uh, yeah, why they ended up, uh, I don't know because they're all dead. Why they ended up there, um, I, I'm really not 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 sure. Um, it's a fascinating story. Uh, and, and I mean, it gives you a, such a large background. And I have a question. Uh, I'm going a little bit out of what the object of the podcast, okay. but just, just one question. Did you ever met Norbert Elias? No. Oh, because I think you would have had a lot in common, like, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, my my uh, my friends and colleagues here, uh, Gordon Hughes, uh, were taught by uh, uh, Elias. But I wasn't really in that sociological world. And, yeah, I didn't really read very much about I mean, oddly enough, um, uh, uh, about that kind of sociology um, or that kind of estrangement, I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't so conscious. Uh, Pat, don't forget, I'm a bit younger than that. But it, but it is rather ironic that uh, if you take Radzinovitz, Grunhut, and uh, Mannheim, all Jews. The, the Jewish emigre influence on criminology and sociological criminology has been huge. And I, I don't know, I don't look for materials. I mean, I haven't tried to retrace my father's family or my mother's family for that matter. I, I was regarded it. I don't regard it anymore as self-indulgent, but I always thought it was a, a little uh, in, indulgent, uh, maybe the existentialist bit of me. Uh, but it, it, it's a big... Um, it's an interesting question. So I never met Norbert Elias. I doubt he ever heard of me. And it, it would never have occurred to me to uh, to seek him out because uh, without being falsely modest, I never thought I was that important, really, in a way that he was. Yeah. No, but I mean, it's, a, it's an immigration that changed, uh, as, as you mentioned, eh, that really had a lot of influence in... Uh, in uh, criminology uh, in the UK, and uh, and his contribution, of course, yeah, he was translated maybe too late. But I, I, when I read, I, I well, I've seen a couple of interviews online, but 
I don't know. I have the impression that you could have had a very interesting talk because of your general culture, both both of you. But uh... yeah, but but I didn't. The, maybe the difference was that I had no intellectual culture. You know, apart from what I at school and what I've sort of picked up. Uh, the the yeah, my parents um, and I made a bit of a thing about this, but. My parents were not intellectual at all. My mother was intelligent and my father was intelligent, but they, apart from reading the Manchester Guardian uh, at home, yeah, I never saw them read uh, any kind of heavy books. The, the people didn't discuss books at home. My dad made the remark that stuck in my mind, you know, I am not a Jew, I am Spinoza. And and why why the hell he would have come up with that and how he would have come up, I, I really no idea, which showed more subtlety. But I mean, my father left school at 14. My mother left school at 17. I never saw them read, apart from my mother reading one or two books about Israel, um, any serious book ever. Yeah, because so... Uh, yeah, I've no idea what what uh, Elias's background was, but I expect it was more intellectual than that. Oh, well, I don't, I don't really, I don't really know what was his background. Yeah, I'll, I'll ask. Well, we, we've got a book launch for Gordon Hughes's book on, uh, which contains a lot of Elias uh, on on Friday. So I'll I'll talk to him about it. But he found Elias was was rather severe. Uh, I think you know that he and uh, Norstetler, um, I can't remember the guy's name, who was also at Leicester. They were really kind of tough um, yeah. uh, uh, hombres, as uh, you know, as Stan Cohen was at times. Uh, uh, Martin said, uh, who was supervised by Stan, said, uh, so why should anybody be interested in your PhD topic? Uh, as his first opening gambit, a bit like Peter Reuter. Uh, it is and Peter and I get on well though uh, uh, he's also a child of emigres but of of intellectual pr professorial emigres yeah so we're we're opposites in in that regard but um yeah but but it is an interesting question and I think it just comes from that because it's stark and, and when I was four we went to Germany for the first time and six. I mean, we couldn't afford foreign holidays. Um, but I went with my mother in a wheelchair. I mean, she had polio when she was eight months old. She never walked unaided. I mean, really a tough uh, lives. Uh, yeah, at eight months, she, 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 basically she never walked in her life. Um, Your mother. <laughs> without assistance yeah so my father was 50 when i was born and my mother and i went went to germany and uh, austria and um uh, apparently they told me I, I was not aware of it it was either when i was four or when i was six those were the two times we went abroad um and there was a gi taking a black guy um a black soldier i mean a, a, an mp taking a black soldier in handcuffs and they were waiting for me to make some comment about his color because in Barrow and Furnace there were no black people and I, I just made no comment at all about his color I mean I just never saw it 
So that wonderful song in South Pacific about you've got to be carefully taught to hate, you know, yeah, really, I, I just didn't see the, the colour. I didn't remark about it at all. I think I made some question, but but they certainly picked that up as being uh, interesting. Um, maybe that shows I was not as good a comparativist as, as I showed him. That he, yeah, that's uh, good. Eh? And when we were with, in the, in Newark, New Jersey, uh, with my daughter, she was two, and uh, she was going to the daycare center that was in the in the premises of the uh, of the university or by the side of the university. And you know that uh, Newark, New Jersey, is uh, basically African American and Portuguese, Brazilian, the other side. And so most of the I think in in the daycare center, I think there was one girl who was. Um, uh, from Asian American and Melanie, uh, let's say Caucasian, and uh, and the rest were all uh, African American. But Melanie was never uh, surprised also of that. And even the the Barbies that you could buy were uh, black Barbies, which I have never seen uh, abroad. But it's interesting because they tell you maybe when they are very small, the kids are afraid of something that is different. But they are, I don't think it's necessarily the color, maybe just the faces that they don't know. But sometimes mm. it comes if you are exposed since the beginning, then the way you deal with it is different. It's nice to know that. I, I, we never we discussed many, many times, but I didn't know all these um, mm. uh, stories which are which I find really interesting. So there you are surrounded now by books, some of them <laughs> written by many of them unread. <laughs> the uh, yeah, no, I think it's it's, it's osmosis. Um, <laughs> well, I think we yeah. we did a, we cover all the topics that yeah, we wanted to cover. Yeah, my voice held out okay. Yeah, and uh, and also many other things that we didn't we didn't think uh, before. Eh? And uh, yeah, and, well, and I think people understood that we love irony because it's a very it's a very rare commodity nowadays, uh, irony. And eh? I was thinking, pe I did, tell me, tell me. Yeah. People have to be brave to be ironic now. Um, <laughs> exactly. The, um, I was thinking if someone hears this, when you mentioned, I was not sure listening, I was laughing. Of course, I know you, I, I saw your face, but the person who is here, it says, okay, this guy is the worst. He's laughing about that. But um, yeah, you know how I enjoy discussing how you enjoy discussing with you so um yeah i think we we, we must thank you for uh for uh this time which was well i've enjoyed great. it i mean you know obviously talking about oneself is always one's favorite subject but yeah but just we like oscar, both. oscar we wilde said to love oneself is the beginning of a lifelong romance <laughs> um, the, uh, I, I was in in dublin um, last week and uh and visiting the the statue of Oscar Wilde, they have two yeah small monuments by the side with uh, aphorisms. Uh, yeah, really impressive. But we have like two parts of the of the of the discussion. One about um, criminology in, in general in the UK, and then we cover a lot of things that um, that you didn't cover in the interview that you made for uh, or in the interviews that I have seen that you have done. Uh, yeah. So, I'm quite happy with this format. Huh? Even if today we made a very long, <laughs> a very long, yeah. but but nice, nice. Yeah, 
I hope I haven't stopped you writing too many books in, in the, <laughs> or articles. We must follow the time. And now people, yeah. I think, are following more uh, podcasts than books. Huh? Um, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Lieben yeah. has just uh, published a book. Uh-huh. Uh, on? So that is good. You could explain, Lieben. Eh? Yeah, yeah, a small book on moral emotions and um, moral judgments. Judgments on, on what's right and wrong and the role of emotions uh for example uh, disgust um and, and anger shame um because i had the feeling that emotions are kind of like a neglected topic in criminology yeah and yeah apart are, from suzanne karstedt and one or two other people like that yeah but that's um, just um, a minority i mean yeah yeah sure most, yeah I, I agree. So is that in english who's published it i'll, I'll... it's a research in brief um it's a Summary of a research project I had um, on Jonathan Haidt's uh, theory of uh, moral foundations. Okay, well, I'll look for that because um, uh, I'm really interested. And it's I'm also about empathy. Yeah, I'm supposed to be writing a book with, well, I am writing a book, but it's just not very advanced yet, uh, with uh, Judith Van Erp on shaming of corporations and, uh, and elite individuals. But I think emotions are important. And if you think about penality, then the emotions are the core of a lot of penality and police prioritization. I have been challenging Letizia to uh, develop for, for volume two, uh, which I upset her at the Authors Meets Critics. I said, I want the second edition of your book to, to, to tell me how we translate um, uh, perceptions of harm into police priorities and sentencing. That's quite a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yes. I, I agree that moral emotions are important in that case as well because if you think about it, um, the differential susceptibility to willing to punish people for doing something wrong. I mean, punishment in an evolutionary context has been important if you look at the writings of all cultural anthropologists uh, like Christopher Brehm who writes about um, how the tendency to, to punish um, people who threaten the community has been important in the evolution of, of societies from small-scale societies to large-scale uh, anonymous societies like we have nowadays. It's ostracism, which, which is called labeling now or, or uh, social exclusion now. Um, moral anger and, and moral threats. I mean, I think all these aspects can be incorporated in, in criminological research um, as an overarching framework. It, yeah. it combines and it unites actually thinking in terms of, I mean, those who think of ideological theories of why people do things which are forbidden by law and why people punish. I mean, if you look at it from a broader anthropological angle, you can explain the same issues by using a larger framework, which can be uniting. But that's, of course, um, it's difficult. But I like thinking in terms of overarching frameworks. And it unites people in, instead of dividing people in, in schools of thought. Uh, well, I hope it catches on, but because um... Because uh, I can see that that might be, uh, yeah, a topic that people. But I have to say, I find our students are not well prepared for that kind of thinking. Um, yeah, uh, but either by us, 
we we almost it, it reminds me i don't read that much um but the it reminds me of uh, when when i used to read hermann hess uh, the glass b b game i think which is last we're almost a a, a high intellectual class for ourselves but our students are just you know whoever we are doing this for it's generally not our students uh, except for the rare mm-hmm. the, the rare ones so they they're just sitting in in bafflement um and, and i'm finding that more depressing yeah than i used to because when i think of how careful all three of us are in our work um and how refined the uh the the judgments and the differences the nuance that we try to take account of you know and uh i find unless i'm talking about credit card fraud or scams to my students which they can uh, identify yeah or about things like grenfell tower uh, uh catastrophe that they cannot they know so little about business world they know so little about economics they just cannot engage you know and it, it it yeah it's a particular problem i have because of my special my, my i wouldn't say hyper specialization but uh, it's hyper specialization in the sense that i know as about as much about this as anybody else who's any other criminologist who is alive yeah and certainly more than any of those who are dead yeah apart from max weber as far as teaching this to students unless you're doing a whole course you might as well forget it because you know in a couple of gigs uh, they are not going to be able to make sense of uh, of any of this now yeah maybe cybercrime is a little bit different but i find yeah money laundering and stuff is just so far away from yeah the, the 18 to 22 year olds yeah maybe in switzerland i don't know it's an interesting question but i i just don't think our our kids today they are just used to plucking bits from the internet uh maybe doing a minimal amount of uh of 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 the reading that they're supposed to for their seminars um but they don't i think uh, and maybe this comes back to childhood thing yeah I read The Guardian, it was at home as a newspaper. And and I still get a newspaper, a physical newspaper. I get The Times. The Guardian is so predictable. Uh, you could write the script for any story for, from a kind of an, an AI chatbot could write a Guardian piece. Um, but I also read a lot of papers online. But I think the serendipity of when you read a physical paper, you read lots of stuff that you don't uh ordinarily that you wouldn't read if you only read it online um and i don't think our students if they read if they if they look at the bbc news it's already a lot yeah i i have i have seen the the changes because at the beginning our um now we have a master eh? but historically it was a postgraduate degree so you had people that had already finished five years of study and then it is quite different. Eh? And also, I think, you know, I think this is a tradition that comes from the Bible, but I cannot remember from which part. But the Mormons, for example, 
they have to go two years abroad eh, when they reach 18. Yeah, yeah. Without seeing the family. And I'm sure that this comes from some part of the Bible, which I don't remember now. But this idea of going abroad and living and, and getting some real world experience um, changes a lot the, the way of thinking. And now I think it's a little bit more uh, like um, very scholarly oriented. Um, so you do a primary school, secondary high school, then you go, you do the undergraduate, graduate, and everything is like, well, you must do that. Uh, and uh, maybe this is what is not um, working, uh, the, the contact with the real Well, they do part-time jobs, but, but they're not necessarily mind-broadening, like... Uh, Although I have to say, having watched the musical, The Book of Mormon, uh, it didn't necessarily lead to broad mindedness. But I think it's also the mass higher education. Uh, when I was a student, 10 percent of people went to university yeah. when uh, obviously Oxford and Cambridge were a smaller percentage of the population. Uh, you know, so nowadays you have people who can play the game and, and, and get in good enough scores. They don't feel privileged. I mean, as an undergraduate, I didn't feel. I didn't work that hard. Um, uh, you know, I wasn't that interested. There, there isn't that much buzz. And teaching the the more refined areas of the things that we work on is, is yeah, and 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 what I need to learn if I'm not just going to quit altogether is just to do things that ignorant, really ignorant people can learn. So conceptual stuff like emotions, maybe that people can. You can find ways of teaching uh, that, but but stuff that requires political context. Uh, I mean, before this, I was listening to a, a, a Rusi, I mean, I was sen Senator Whitehouse from Rhode Island was talking about the transatlantic um, movement on illicit finance. Yeah, the difference. Uh, yeah, e even when I was at school, I actually won the Hansard Society Prize for an essay on the differences between um, US and British uh, governance, uh, you know, about the diffusion of centers of power uh, in, in America, uh, which of course makes it ungovernable, whereas the concentration in, 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 in the UK. Uh, it, it, it hadn't occurred to me to put in for the Hansard Society Prize, but somebody said, well, so that kind of thing, you don't find that many motivated people kind of doing that. But I didn't do it because I was particularly hardworking. I was just, I was really interested in the question. And, uh, and so when I came in regulating fraud to write about, you know, well, why, why are the Americans put a lot more effort? I remember Richard, uh, a criminologist, um, writes about blue collar crime and I, I'd written regulating fraud and um he, he said i thought it was a great book mike but uh how come that bill chambliss is quoted on the back as saying this is a, a kind of brilliant pioneering book uh when in in the chapter that deals with um criminalization you've destroyed everything he stands for uh, uh, and my response was that well bill's a pal of mine we go we're happy drinking together and uh, <laughs> I, 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 I wouldn't guarantee that he'd read every word of the book yeah but but I did and that and that's what meant that I was I could never 
be a Marxist, it, you know, although it's very trendy to be in, in that era. Again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, b- because there were what would now be called varieties of capitalism. Yeah, and Gramsci enabled people to reconcile empirical complexity with uh, an emotional commitment to Marxism by talking about the relative autonomy of the of ideology. And uh, you know, so so it always interested why people believe things as a as an agnostic. Uh, yeah, as a determined agnostic, in spite of or perhaps because of having gone to an Orthodox Jewish school, boarding school for four years, and having classical Hebrew O-level uh, as a result, that I would not otherwise have, have, have done that. Uh, as a professional and determined agnostic, uh, I could never really believe, I, I, I was interested in why people believe, but I couldn't believe in things myself, and maybe that's protected me from... Yeah. I think a little bit like Woody Allen. Eh? I think it's <laughs> Hannah and her sisters when he goes to the different religions trying to believe. I want to believe. Also Unamuno, the um, the Spanish philosopher, eh? he, he was saying, I I would love to believe, but I have read too much. So the guy is desperate for believing, yeah. but, but he cannot reach it. And yeah, and this works like, like religion. Some ideas, uh, I... I saw a book, The Walk Religion, eh? just published, yeah. and um, yeah, yeah. They, they work a little bit like religions, and uh, maybe it's because religion plays a main, minor role that people need other, but, other but, common beliefs, I don't but know. But Argentina's football uh, success is a religion for you. That's also That's religion. Religion. <laughs> but but that But fortunately, it, it, it's not a religion that occupies every day. Exactly. Uh, or wins every day. <laughs> exactly. But the, it unified that. Uh, eh? A yeah. country that was divided, uh, it, it can last maybe one month eh, or something yeah. like that. It unifies for some time, yeah. Uh, uh, until there's a uh, match lost and then they start criticizing again. But uh, uh, I, I will be interested if Ukraine has less corruption uh, <laughs> now than before. That, that, yeah. That's an interesting comparative yeah. question. Yeah, it's true. We have to follow yeah. this. Eh? Whether it's uh, forged a nation uh, in the proper sense of forged or whether it's just a forgery. Um, yeah. The, uh, but anyway, I look forward to reading your, your book, your your uh, your think piece, Levin. I found it uh, a pleasure. Um, yeah. It's um, the beginning of an, an, another topic I want to explore. I mean, you need to broaden the horizon once in a while. Yeah, and um, I really do enjoy this. Um, so I said I sent you a copy. Yeah, well, you're well. I mean, you, you, and Marcel, you, are, you are real people who are, are are kind of thinking a lot and broadening a lot, and I think that's great. There are not that many people that I would put in that category, you know. And one of the reasons why Farrington fell out so badly with me, uh, he barely spoken to to me since the only other conversations i've had with him since that uh, she's given me good citations were once uh, when we're in la uh, on the way to the yes and he and ellen were doing another iteration and i leant over and i uh, and i started to say something and she said we know what you think and the other time was when we were both having a pee before i got the uh, selling wolfgang award 
and we both happened to be having a pee and uh, he was getting whatever the last award that he didn't have was uh, and he said oh i got that in 1984. <laughs> he, yeah he said and, and and I thought of saying, but I actually didn't. Uh, there must have been a lot less competition around for, for the international thing. But instead, I said, that, oh, that was a very good year. And he didn't get the irony uh, of, of the all, all well. When I was 17. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, actually, I was listening to, uh, to Janice Ian's when I was 17. 17. You, know, you know that song? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah 17, yeah, yeah, yeah. I learned a lot. Maybe you mentioned that to me once. Yeah. Because, I mean, if we are something, if it's because we learn from the best. Huh? Mm -hmm. and, um, and one of the goals of the podcast is also to share a little bit that because these kind of discussions, it's very difficult to have them. Even even when we when we meet in, in a conference, sure, yeah. we don't have the time. No, we don't. Yeah, yeah. And there are so many things that can be learned, you know, with a good conversation. So it's also something... For the generations to come and uh, how things yeah. were then i would love to see uh, sutherland for example discussing with someone in a relaxed environment but of course that's right. maybe we can have a virtual an, an avatar a sutherland <laughs> avatar <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> yeah let's yeah. see what chat gpi will do for <laughs> sutherland it, they may they may be able to put together all what, what, what he wrote yeah, yeah. the so, problem is which Sutherland you get? The one that he was at 30 mm -hmm. or 35 or the one that he was at 50, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah, sometimes, mm -hmm. yeah, one changes so much during life. Uh, mm -hmm. Some people, uh, and people have, not everybody. Not the, mm -hmm. Yeah, some people reject. And, that, and some people do not admit that they have changed and they keep the ideas. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, the, the, the big thinkers, you can see how they change um, their mind sometimes, I think. Yeah. yeah. Ah, okay. okay. So well, it was, it was really a real a pleasure. pleasure to talk, and um, you have um, some editing to, to do uh, yeah. to boil this down to five minutes. No, the, uh, no, we will never the, do that. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Then we, we, may, we, we will surely then have some uh, shorts taken just to push people to to hear the full conversation eh? yeah i mean in the car when you go there you're caught in a in a jam in the jam in the traffic yeah. what can you do better than listen to mike levy uh, <laughs> <laughs> i didn't mention anything about the pronunciation of the name eh? i did i didn't make well, my joke about well, my, the gene levi yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well my father would have said levy of course and italians still say ah primo yeah, primo. Because the only lady they know is primo. Yeah, and you uh, have it there the, by the, your side, eh? Yeah. You can see it to the yeah. to your left. Yes, this uh, was a gift from Letizia. So I'm primos into pares. Uh, okay. Okay, Mike. Thank you very, very much. Eh? Cheers. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Bye, bye. Thank you for following Liven and Marcelo's Criminology Podcast. This podcast is edited by Eduardo Coco from the University of Lausanne. Our theme song is Seagull's Night, Noche de Gaviotas, 
composed by Gustavo Cantero, arranged by Tato Germano, and played by Tato and Gustavo with the voices of Sasha Conte and Alejandro Turco Gujot. Your hosts are Lieben Pauvels from Ghent University, Belgium, and Marcelo Aevi from the University of Lausanne, Switzerland. Cheers, and see you soon. <laughs>